probably all be checking in with someone every now and then. After we, we imploded in the league last year, I wasn't right for yeah. a long time. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTV Sports app now. Phil Egan is with us. Phil, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. Um, you flagged it last night, uh, yesterday on the show, that the big game wasn't in the Champions League, although they were two pretty interesting results in, in and of themselves. But that actually the relegation battle was where the hot, hot, hot football action was last night. You were correct. Uh, it's just it's the tension of a, a relegation scrap. Just so much on the line. And Frank Lampard and Everton are in serious trouble. And I listened to Lampard before the game, talking about the pressure. And he said, you know, as a player, I relished the pressure, the big games. Like, there was a difference, though, Frank. You were playing at the top end of the table with Chelsea, where you were you know, maybe going for a league title or you were in the, the latter stages of the Champions League. Relegation scraps are completely different. I think the person to listen to on this is someone like John O'Shea, who obviously won league titles and a Champions League at Manchester United, but he was involved in relegation scraps with Sunderland. And I remember he did an interview with us on Premier League Live after Sunderland had just stayed up with Big Sam and just talked about the relief going into the club the next day, looking at all the people around the club who you become so friendly with, knowing that because you've held on to your Premier League status, these people will be kept in the job. Whereas you go to the Championship, obviously we've seen what's happened to Sunderland since they're down in League One now. These people then, you know, there has to be cutbacks because you, you can't keep the same budget for a Championship club or for a League One club. And it's just a horrible feeling. And Everton are stuck in that right now that the thoughts of relegation could absolutely ruin Everton. And watching the game last night, you know, they were 2-1 up at half time. There was spells in the second half where they were on top and you thought, yeah, they're the better team here. But Sean Dyche hit the nail on the head when he was asked after the game, what did you say to your players at half time? And he said, I don't think Everton know how to win a game, especially away from home. And they did everything but win that game last night. And not only did they not even get a draw, they transpired to lose a game that they shouldn't have lost. And that's become a habit for them now. And you're looking at their fixtures. I know one or one or two wins can change everything. And we could be here in three weeks saying, yeah, fair play to Lampard. He steered them clear of, of the relegation zone. But right now, the pressure these players are under, and they're playing Manchester United at half 12 on Saturday, we don't know what United are going to turn up. I've always said if, if Everton are going to stay up, it's their home form. The Everton fans obviously will be up for this. They're not going to turn on the team because they know the stakes are too high. Yeah, like I think if we're sitting here in a few weeks' time and saying fair play to Frank Lampard, that would be extraordinary because, as you say, it's the standard of team that they'd have to beat. That Manchester United this weekend almost takes on like a very, very important feel to it because obviously you've got the uh, Merseyside Derby in a couple of weeks, which is at Anfield, and Leicester and Chelsea in that mix as well, isn't it? Yeah, two games against Leicester as well. It's yeah. just looking at the fixtures of the teams around them as well. There's there's a few teams that have, say for example, Burnley have two games against Villa to come as well. I'm kind of looking from Leeds down. I think Leeds were disappointed with that result last night because looking at the table now, Leeds are on 30 points, 31 games. You know. Burnley were on 21 points going into that game last night, so Leeds were eight points clear of the relegation zone. Now they're only six, but Leeds have Watford this weekend, which is a massive game. Watford have to play all the teams around them. Now, those games are at Vicarage Road where Watford can't win a game, but if Roy Hodgson can fix that starting with this weekend, then 
you know, Watford still have to play Burnley and Everton. Um, they, they, they do have a few tough games to go, they, to go to City. They play Chelsea in the final day as well. But Leeds will be starting Chelsea to Chelsea in the final day could be easy. Like it I could be, that, yeah. Those, those, that final few round of games, like if the league is already done, or if, say, say Man City are out of the league and in a Champions League final and, um, you know, they're resting players. They're still resting, like, you know, they're still playing world-class players who are, are playing. But you can't pencil in automatic wins for the top teams against the bottom teams for the last three games of the year because other other priorities might happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like when Villa, when when Jack Grealish saved Villa, their fixture list looked horrific. Yeah, and, and that's the last five games of the season because they it mattered to them and it didn't matter to others. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there is the the teams that are on the beach. I mean, it, it is a thing where teams are already thinking ahead and. Uh, and players are, are looking forward to their holidays now. They don't have a major tournament to be thinking about in the, the same way that they would usually because obviously the World Cup doesn't start until November. But Classville, sorry to interrupt. Is there a team in recent memory that ha- has gone a longer period of time without the last few games mattering than Everton? It feels like Everton are the one team, the one constant throughout the entire Premier League era where they could be on the beach for the last five games because they've got nothing to play for. They've never challenged for a title. They maybe maybe if you talk about 2006 direction when they were 2005 when they were pushing for the Champions League spots they, they, they didn't battle for relegation. Granted, this is just the club's history, not the players' history. In the 90s, they were they were definitely relegation threatened, like famously last second. Okay, well that, that's a good. That's a long long yeah, time ago. Yeah. Well, like I do not remember that. Like it's it's you could almost pin your hat on everything being barely the, saved them. Didn't he scored in the, the course. Yeah, I'm, I'm Bolton lost that day as well. Then you have the, the Barry Horn. The, the Everton are the game. team you want to be playing late on in the season. Like I know it doesn't matter too much considering there's a massive turnover of players but Burnley as we saw last night are used to this they're used to the slog Villa used to fighting for stuff at the end of the season they got relegated had to come back up are, like are Everton ready for this are they, are they ready for the fact that the, the, these ma- matches all matter so so much to, to the future of their club yeah and, and that is my, my concern for them that these players aren't used to a relegation scrap I think watching the game last night if one player epitomised what it is to be in a relegation scrap it was James Tarkovsky a a player that has actually been linked with Everton in the past but just putting in blocks there was one stage when Anthony Gordon went through in the second half and fired a shot that was looked like it had Pope and trouble and Tarkovsky blocked it and it went out for a corner and he, you know, he was immense, and Nathan Collins was in beside him, scoring his first goal in the Premier League. What a time to do so! But it, it was just the fact that Burnley scoring three goals. Burnley don't score three goals many times in a game or in a season, and Everton are just a shambles at the back. And this was the concern when Lampard came in that the track record when he was at Derby, when he was at Chelsea, was defensively you were never fully convinced by them and everybody kept making individual errors and and he could never seem to fix or put his finger on why that happened and you know defending is a collective that's because if you set a team upright individual errors mightn't cost you because you have such a strong defensive unit that you know there's somebody else that knows that if somebody makes a mistake I'll be there to, to pick up the slacks so Say, for example, Nathan Collins made a mistake last night and his teammates got him out of it. You know, these things happen. Professional footballers make mistakes. But if your team is there for you to get you out of trouble, then, you know, that's always a good sign. But right now, Everton are conceding goals. Said, I don't know. It's hard to know what United team turn up on Saturday. I mean, they are 
not necessarily out of the race for the top four, given what happened at Sellers Park. The, you know, the door is still slightly open. So, Does the fact that a new manager's name has leaked out help in a way that, like, ooh, now we know who we're trying to impress and I... Yeah. Like, there's a bit of certainty back? Big time. I mean, you know, they're, they're thinking, right, we're playing for our futures here. Now, you know, this United squad have shown in the last few seasons, if anyone's going to let you down, it's them. But... Everton, it's just the tension that if Everton can see it first, then the worry is, can they turn it around? And they need games where it stays nil all or they they score first. You think back to the Newcastle game where they they stuck in there, they got a player sent off and you feared the worst, but they still dug it out. But right now it's, uh, it's, it's looking pretty grim for Everton. And I said, what that could do to the club if they get relegated. And if they lose to United at the weekend you start to think, will they pull the the plug on Lampard? Is that what you would do? Well, like, they've lost six of their last seven games. So, would Duncan Ferguson do any worse? But, you know, are Everton thinking... What was his record when he was in, in charge? Better than losing six out of seven, I suspect. Well, I mean, look, you think back to the... the while ago, though. He took charge. He's, he's had a few stints. Four matches, two draws, one loss, four goals for, one goal against. Yeah, they lost that game against Villa and you know it wasn't a great game, it was quite a, a tight game but that's the way Everton have to approach games. They, they can't be conceding three goals. They have to, they can't be cavalier the way they were at times last night where you know they're, they're going in search of, of a third goal but then they leave themselves open and it's just, it's naive and you know, they, they, so the, the teams that are, are used to scrapping down at the bottom know how to grind out results and... Burnley manages. Now we have to see if Watford can do it. If Watford can get their act together, then Everton are in even more trouble. Because you just kind of feel that Burnley are up for this now. They, like this is what Burnley have been doing. They, they keep getting written off, and you kind of think eventually they're going to get caught. I did pick them at the start of the season. I, I went Norwich, Watford, Burnley. As of now, I'm still gonna. I, I'm sticking with that, but that can change in in the space of a game it's changing before your eyes at the moment absolutely yeah, You're, it is you know, last it, night was like a massive massive moment in the whole thing and like look Everton um, being forced to re-examine who they are what their identity is what they mean is that new stadium beside the water as the sea level rises is that a good idea I'm not sure so uh, we'll see um, but yeah I, like look he, he picked an interesting team last night and they let him down even with two penalties even when the like everything yeah. is going their way that's it and he, he did talk about it um, you know the the game last weekend and saying you know you just need to, you need a bit of luck after the West Ham game he said and th- there they got the, the bit of luck with, that they needed where they got the two penalties or two one up at half time against a team that are not very prolific and they still managed to lose 3-2 so the, the, the pressure is on but I said I, I find the relegation scrap is so fascinating because it, like, it is survival and good know, that they had Deli Alley to call on last night as well in the moment of crisis he's what you want in the trenches if anyone's going to get them out of trouble it's going to be Richarlison yeah I think Richarlison played pretty well last night and yeah. again I said earlier I literally was watching the highlights but everything good that they were doing and yeah, you know it was a great chance you know to put them 3-1 up and he had an overhead save as well but if yeah, I think if they're going to stay up, it's him. Um, yeah, I'd be happy if, if he was uh, at Villa next season and Everton were in the um, championship. Um, Villarreal's result last night, where they beat Bayern Munich by a goal to nil, probably not as um, heavily trumpeted just yet as it might be because it's the first leg, and we've seen Bayern 
come from behind yeah. in situations like this before. They had a number of chances to make it two, to double their lead, to really put some massive doubt in, in Bayern's mind. But then you look at the Bayern team and they're kind of old. Yeah, like, I mean, the, the thing here is that Unai Emery is the kryptonite for, for Bayern Munich. Dermot Corrigan had this statistic that they'd gone uh, 25 away Champions League games unbeaten all the way back to September 2017 when they were beaten 3-0 by Paris Saint-Germain, managed by Unai Emery. So I think this has been one of the, definitely an element of, of the narrative around him in the aftermath of last season when he'd, he'd got into the Europa League glory that Arsenal had a good manager in their hands in Unai Emery and maybe the, the situation was such a basket case that didn't allow him to do so well. But the big thing from last night was the, the hallmarks of like sitting down watching Match of the Day and at around 11.20 you'd hear Dan Juma's name come on in the second last game of Match of the Day. Kind of like a Serge Gnabry like a graph. Not, not as dramatic, Phil, but kind of reminds me of it. The sort of, oh yeah, remember him playing in the Championship last season, playing well in the Championship yeah. and now beating Bayern Munich in the Champions League. Yeah, and look at some of the players because the, the problem with some of the, the stories about football nowadays, if a player or a manager... Because Emery, let's be honest, people will say it didn't work at Arsenal. But if a player or a manager doesn't succeed in the Premier League, it's almost like they're written off. I saw an article yesterday. I'm not going to say who uh, published it. But it was in relation to Gonzalo Higuain, right? A guy that's won uh, league titles at Real Madrid, banged in goals for Napoli. And it was, you know, the, the headline for the article was Chelsea flop, Gonzalo Higuain, um, about his future, you know, he, there's talk that he's going to retire at the end of the MLS season. And I just thought, like, you know, this is a guy that, you know, has played in World Cup finals. He's, he, you know, he, he's scored goals at the, at the highest level, a club level. And he, somebody, some people would actually view him as a Chelsea flop, even though his career outside the Premier League was exceptional. And you look at the team that Villarreal had last night. Juan Foyth was playing. You mentioned Danjuma. Uh, you know, obviously playing in the championship. You had Etienne Capu, you had Los Celso. You have guys like this that some of them would be considered as Premier League flops. And here they are, one win away from reaching the Champions League semi-finals and, and dumping out one of Europe's top clubs. Now, look, we'll see what happens in the second leg. Salzburg also should have beaten Bayern Munich in the first leg. And then they got spanked, yeah. Yeah. Now, Villarreal are are better than Salzburg and um, they're, they're think, well set up. I think that uh, there was definitely some early refereeing decisions that went Bayern's way in the second leg with a bunch of, like did they have two or three penalties in the first yeah. five minutes? Yeah, Shalevanovsky uh, was um, scored a fairly early hat-trick so but Emery is a good manager and just because it didn't work out for him at Arsenal doesn't mean He's an Arsenal flop forever. That's and, and that's the thing, like, but good evening. We'll never like. I mean, yeah. pe- people like started picking up on the the accent because he wasn't good at managing. Whereas that would have become um, an endearing yeah. uh, feature. Whereas was he good at football management in that period of time? There, there was moments. You think of the the time they beat Spurs and the the derby, and they were really on it that day. And people thought, yeah, this guy's going to turn it around. But you see how quickly things can go, and then people start questioning it. So we've just been talking about Everton and. We're probably going to, are we going to see the same when Ten Hag takes over at Manchester United, where if things don't start well, then you start seeing the leaks or the, the so-called leaks where Manchester United players question some of the, the training methods of Eric Ten Hag. Mm. It's, that's just unfortunately the way management goes, whereas we know Ten Hag is a really good coach, but sometimes it's not that simple that good coach goes into club, makes them better, because 
you have to look at the structures around them. That was the comparison with Klopp a little bit earlier on. Somebody saying Liverpool got a bit lucky when they got Klopp. But actually, like just doing a quick bit of reading earlier on, in the aftermath of that um, tweet, they had searched out and hunted Klopp down. He was. Um, they had arranged this um, meeting in New York with him where Klopp had gone with a dossier and said, this is how I'm going to transform the club and all your relationships for it, uh, with the media and uh, with everybody. It was basically like a, the, the next step on from... Brandon Rogers, but the thing about it was was that the owners of that club were fully invested in making Liverpool as successful as possible and their blueprint for it was a blueprint that was based on what they did with the Red Sox, which was um, fixing the stadium, leaning into the history of the club, making sure that the best people were in charge of recruitment and um, training slash coaching. And that's a model that works. What is the Manchester United Glazers model? Like, They've been successful in Tampa because they got Tom Brady. It seems slightly similar to their strategy at the end of yeah. last season in the transfer window. Yeah, absolutely. Like the you know the this the shiny signing in in a transfer window which gets people excited, whereas often those less spectacular signings are the ones that work out. And like you think of when Klopp took over Liverpool, you look at the squad that he inherited, but there was plenty of slip-ups along the way where you know I can remember them losing 2-0 away to Hull and people were going is this guy really going to be able to turn around to Liverpool but Klopp had the the history of of work at Dortmund to be able to say you know trust me and he said in his first press press conference that maybe in four years we're talking about winning titles and Mm. lo and behold four years later they're champions of Europe so it, it does take time but unfortunately with Manchester United they Managers are not getting time, and one thing that doesn't help as well is the outside noise of players, past players, where they think they know best, whereas they don't necessarily know best. But they're, um, you know, because they're big names, they're always going to get plenty of of clicks and hits, and people want to hear what they say. And Manchester United, being such a, a global club and a huge club, will always have interest, even if they were down at the bottom end of the Premier League people would still be talking about them so it's it's a really tough job that Eric Ten Hag has ahead of him I think he's probably the best candidate from that list available at the moment when you're saying that, you're saying that Potch isn't available basically well the Potch is available I, I, I actually think that Ten Hag is a better bet than Pochettino in that like things had gone stale at Spurs and they fluked their way to the Champions League final and like the job at PSG has been Grant. He's not a he. He hasn't reached the level of those managers who were on that carousel where he is super successful and he's won leagues everywhere he's gone. Like for all my slagging off Carlo Ancelotti, the guy was successful. Like everywhere he went. Yeah, like you could say there was a, a Ten Hag versus Poch showdown in 2019, and uh, who fluked it out? That, 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 that do you want to? But a, want a vastly, to? vastly higher wage bill than. Uh, he had at Spurs than they had at um, Ajax like you'd, you'd have to say that like Ajax getting to the semi-final of the Champions League is on a par with Spurs getting to the final of the Champions League that season uh, certainly from, from the I would have said it was ahead of it to be yeah. honest I mean if you look at the budgets and, and the way Ajax played and I think as well what you look for when a new manager comes in is you want to be able to look at the way the team play and know exactly what they're about and what always helps you've, you've seen this with Conte coming in at Spurs when you get like the uh, 
a signature win where you see, yeah, that can happen more often down the line. So you think of what Spurs did away to City. That was classic Conte. And it, might, it, it's, it mightn't happen next season at City, but it could happen in big games. Like Say, for example, they go to Anfield this season and they do something similar where you think, right, if he does this more often, then we become more successful. And you know what? There was actually the, the bones of something like that emerging, which was a counter-attacking style under Solskjaer. But then they ended up signing, um, like, the, the, if, you, if you think back, the signing Ronaldo completely derailed any sense of what identity was beginning to emerge under Solskjaer. And um, that was the end of that. It, it could not survive that because he wanted to be... Uh, a counter-attacking team that hits you on the break and it worked relatively well for him in big games over recent seasons and he had I don't know it was, it was always fated to fail because he wasn't good enough but uh, Yeah well it was amazing that you had Solskjaer and this counter-attacking team and you thought there's a few missing parts you need a centre midfielder then Sancho was coming in and you thought yeah they need another centre half so they got Varane they didn't get the, the central midfielder that they need. They got Sancho, but then obviously when Ronaldo was signed, it changed everything. You think back to the first weekend of the season. I know United have like a, Leeds do concede goals, but they absolutely tore them apart on the break. And it was the classic way United were successful in their Solskjaer where they sat in and just broke a pace. And Bruno Fernandes and Pogba were exceptional that day. And there was a real good buzz about it. Varane was obviously unveiled that day and it was like, yeah, this is, you know, maybe. And then Ronaldo signed and it was like, oh, this is, good. This is getting even better. But as it transpired, Ronaldo, yeah, his numbers might look all right, but it's inhibited the way the team has tried to move forward. And, and obviously Solskjaer paid the price for that. And it's been really bad. But look at how bad it's been for United this season. And they're still not that far off top four. So that's one of the positives if you're a United fan. You would say it really doesn't take that much to get yeah. back on track. There's always a couple of clubs who are having a terrible season. And like, so therefore yeah, you should be able to qualify. And actually they're going to qualify for the Champions League automatically from now on anyway when the new rules get in. So like it's a good time to be uh, becoming the Manchester United manager. Expectations are low. And like they won't be in next season but they will be in the season after that for, and forevermore because they're one of the biggest clubs.